This is Proxilla Radio, the UK's first dedicated progressive rock music radio network. You're listening to Tabletop Genesis, a podcast by Genesis fans for Genesis fans. Welcome back. This is Mike Lord, Tom Roche, Lily White Lilith, and Stacy. I mean Simon. <laughs> and you are here for part two of our episode covering the Genesis album "Lamb Lies D- the Lamb Lies Down" on Broadway. We covered sides one and two in our first episode about this album, which you can go back and listen to if you haven't listened to it yet, or if you just want to be in reverse, you can listen to us talk about parts three and four now. So normally we would talk about what's in the Wikipedia article, but we've already talked about that for this album. So I get, a, I get a, a moment off, do I? That's right. So, But we are going to put us all on the spot and say, what do we think of the album so far? You know, if this is your first listen to this, where are you at? What do you think? I would be, if this was my first listen, I would be as confused as all get out. <laughs> yeah. I genuinely, I would be, in, I, I think I'd be entranced. Yes. But I would be confused. Yeah. I would have no idea. I'd be listening to the music. Yeah, I don't think I'd be thinking about where are we in the story. It would just be like, oh, this is interesting. This is like there's some good music here, and you know, I, I, but I don't know if there's a story here. It's just a bunch of songs. So. I'd be like, wait, there's more. <laughs> right. What's this second album? Oh, there's. there's oh my god! The one, the Cancel one my calls. <laughs> <laughs> I have noticed though that. Um, there is, whereas the first album or the first two sides mm-hmm. contain a lot of material that features in their live set, there's mm. very little that features in their live set apart from maybe the Slipperman. Yeah, stuff. the Slipperman, and yeah. and it was up for the for the Trick of the Tail tour was an encore actually, yeah. uh, which I think is interesting that they chose that as an encore, but they did. They must they, but then it never. Which you can hear material. on the Three Sides Live uh, yes, uh, album as well, exactly. can't you? The, on, is it the, the British English, version? The yeah. version? Yeah, and then but some of the instrumental bits from. Yeah, from like a lot of the, the scree, riding the scree, and yes. yeah, riding. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, but nothing vocally. Because at this point, a lot of the vocals really are pretty story heavy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they don't stand as well independently at the time. I bet if, I bet if, if Genesis had broken out the Lamia uh, in 2007, I mean, yeah, it might have been some people's pee break, but people would have known the song if you were a Genesis fan. Well, so. if you were a Genesis fan, I mean, Genesis are a big band. Yeah. You know? I mean, even at this point in their career... And I was surprised when I, I read this actually in Mike Rutherford's um, mm-hmm. book. They were selling out the Wembley Arena. Sure, at this the point, land. and the the Wembley Empire Pool, as it was first okay. known, and that's a huge place. That's yeah. a that's a Wells Fargo Centre okay. sized sure. sort of like place. You know, yeah. maybe not not as big, but I always remember him saying he felt a bit self-conscious because his parents were there one night on that tour mm. and Peter Gabriel had to climb out of a huge vagina <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> at the start of the show. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a little bit difficult to, you know, I could empathise having to describe this story to people with parents around that even Mike Rutherford would feel the same way about this. So. But it is, it's a, I actually think that while 
there's a lot of, in my personal opinion, there's a lot more stronger material on the first uh, two sides. Mm -hmm. It's these sides that feel most like the lamb. Yes. Yeah, it feels like, if I think of the lamb, I think of these tracks. I think the colony of Slipperman is great. I think the Lamia has grown on me over time that I kind of get it more now. Right, the first out, well, the first two sides were the singles, and the last two are the album, the <laughs> deep right. cuts sure. uh, of this whole you know, uh, project. You sometimes wonder, did they sit down and talk about the entire narrative, or did this just sort no. of no. come together <laughs> as some kind of happenstance? I mean, I know that Peter was driving the actual spoken narrative, the yeah. story, but there must have, as we said in the last episode, I think you mentioned it, yeah. uh, Mike, that there must have been some points where they said, well, we're just, that's not the right place for the song. Yeah. And yet Peter must have said, well, this is where I need to tell this part of the story. Yeah. Well, I also think, and this kind of just occurred to me, that, you know, you had both Tony and Mike, who were strong lyric writers, Steve, who had written lyrics for the band, and Phil, maybe, well, he wrote more Fool Me, I think, at least, and um, and for Apps and Friends and stuff like that, so was involved in lyric writing, but for this album, they pretty much didn't have to think about that, so they could put some thought into, oh, let's have this little musical bit kind of reprise at the end of Lilith type of thing. They could have some mental space was kind of opened up for them instead of having to think about, oh, I got to write six sets of lyrics for this album. Mm. Oh, I can just sit back and Peter's doing that. Oh, okay, we'll write Light Lies Down on Broadway, Dies Down on Broadway because Pete couldn't get to it type of thing. I think but. The Grand Parade of Lifeless Packaging was also another one which was not Tony, written by, really? okay. by by Peter. Okay, I actually, I'll have to double check on that. Yeah. I'm not sure, so... Um, but I know that light lies down, light dies down was Mike and Tony. Right. So, okay. which which I find fascinating that one of the big emotional moments of this album <laughs> was that Peter said, oh, "I can't get to it." Yeah. Can you guys write it and everything? And I find it both both generous that he gave them that piece, but also kind of interesting to think that he couldn't get to it in time. Mm. So again, it, it harkens to the back to the ambiguity of this album. We will never really, yeah. Where there are some albums, maybe the later albums, because when you've got video diaries of, of people composing stuff on Invisible Touch, it's very easy to see who did <laughs> what. Yeah. But at this point, you know, you're in a room somewhere. Yeah. You're recording it, and then you know moments get lost in in history. Yeah. And then if you weren't you know, at a live show at the time they were touring this, you really don't know how they expressed it yeah. as a group. Yeah. So there's so much, like, mystery and, uh, you know, unknown, as you know, and ambiguity, as you said, with this mm. album. Yeah, there's no... I, I can't... I mean, there's, like, that... Was it 8mm or 16mm, mm. like, film, and people try to yeah. it was pull something filmed, together. Though, yeah. Like well, it just wasn't done as much back yeah. then, and they weren't a rich band, so... Yeah, and, you, you know, you see pictures and... Yeah. You know, they talk about it. And that's another thing, too. Like, I, you know, I can't remember if I said in the in the first episode we did on this album. But to me, I think a lot of people focus on this as Gabriel's last Genesis album yeah. rather than 
this is a Genesis album. Right. Um, yeah, and yeah. there's a, you know, it, I think, you know, that people focus a lot on that. And when, you know, there's documentaries and interviews, that's what they focus on. Oh, it's his last album and, the, you know, the end of an era for yeah, Genesis yeah. and not really The process getting, gets it, drowned out. It, yeah, the yeah. process and, and how it, it was received and how the fans, you know, reacted to it and all of that and how the band, you know, after putting it out there, how they felt about it, that kind of got swept under the rug yeah. and not in the limelight of Gabriel's departure. Yeah. The music yeah. isn't as focused on as much as the what was going on around yeah, it exactly. at the time, and which maybe we're correcting that a little bit. Yeah. I also know there there is a book that just that has just come out that a person named John Kirkman has written. He's kind of big in the music progressive world, and he wrote a book about The Lamb Lies Down on Broadway about collecting a lot of the memorabilia. I know that I think Steve and maybe Tony were interviewed for it. I haven't bought it at this point just because it's it's kind of expensive right now, and I'm like, I don't need to drop 75 bucks on this Whoa. or whatever. Yeah, it's, it's expensive. Um, but I do, but the, what I've heard about it is that it is it is worthwhile to buy. So I don't want to discourage it, but it's just something that's a little bit pricey right now mm-hmm. to buy as a you know big, solid coffee table type book. Yeah. So, um, but if there's a cheaper version down the road, I probably would try to pick that up mm-hmm. or maybe find some friends who want to go in for it. Hmm. Um, <laughs> so we'll do, we'll do a Kickstarter. To, yeah, exactly. <laughs> who would want this? We but, can, but essentially, yeah. this these final two sides on yes. the album are... I think are some of the most perplexing slices of music Genesis ever put down yeah. on on record, um, but nonetheless very very entertaining. I, mm-hmm. One of the things that I will always say is that whenever I play the Lamb, mm-hmm. I don't just play the first two sides. I'm there for the duration. Yeah, I'm yeah. there for the moment that I, the needle drops on on the Lamb lies down on Broadway. It doesn't I, I my attention doesn't waver until right. we, you know we get to it you know it it's a, it does feel like a place and I remember Phil Collins saying this when he was referring to uh, Sergeant Pepper's the Beatles album he said it was a place you went mm, sure. and this genuinely is it's a place you go it's yeah. uh, it, it feels as I said uh, on the previous episode for me it feels more episodic but it's certainly um but you want to watch all the along. episodes in a yeah, row. Yeah. Exactly. I will I will binge listen this this album. Sure. I, yeah. I think this is the the epitome of I think what Prague fans like about the music. Yeah. It takes you on a journey. And you're not just gonna put on an album on shuffle. Mm-hmm. You're going to spend some time, you're gonna invest some of your life to listen to this start to finish and be taken on a journey. You might not understand everything that's going on <laughs> especially halfway through this you might be like i don't know where i've been and i don't know where i'm going but i'm enjoying the ride yeah, yeah. and that's part of i think why we all love this music and you know i've been listening to this album for you know 35 years at this point or however long it's been it's like and i still don't understand everything about it i don't know if anybody nobody can ever say you understand a piece of art anyway but this still has mysteries that become revealed as we go forward next time I listen to it I'll probably think about what Simon said about kind of the intro parts almost being about a birth in some ways which I hadn't really thought about it that way and so it's like oh this could be a different type of journey that the main character is on and I guess that 
we again we mentioned this a little bit in the previous episode. I guess that the ambiguity lends it an ability to evolve every time you listen to it. Yes. Yeah. What are you bringing to it at this stage yeah. of listening to it? Yeah. It's not an album that I can listen to while oh I'll just read a book while I have this on in the background. It's like you, you I I feel you almost have to give it the attention that it deserves. It demands that attention. So. So yeah, so this is very good. I'm, I'm glad we're at the, a good space in the midpoint of this, that we're enjoying this album. It's moving forward. We're going to dive in and kind of see where Lily Light Lilith takes us now. What was that again? <laughs> where Lily Light Lilith. <laughs> it's a lot of L's in there that are I, I bothering me. Yes. Lily White Lilith. The chamber was in confusion. All the voices shouting loud. If I helped her through, she could help me too But I could see that she was wholly blind From a pale face and a pale skin A moonlight shines Lily White Lilith She gonna take you through the turn of the night Lily White Lilith She gonna lead you Forget about the chamber being in confusion. I think Mike's in confusion over saying Lily White Lilith. <laughs> oh, <laughs> the way it just rolls off his tongue. Makes me feel like a samalsis. <laughs> <laughs> but I have to say, this is a great way to start Act Two oh, of yeah. the story. Yes. I mean, just to, you know, you've had that nice little ring after the end of Chamber of 32 Doors. And kind of take a breath, a breather, you flip. You put not just flip the album. You take off one album, put on the another mm-hmm. one, and boom, the chamber is in confusion. Uh-huh. You right away, you're like you're off to the races again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like this is the point of no return. You're going to figure out what happened to Rail. You're off to the races with an older piece of music that they are yeah. repurposing. If you have any of the old boots, that uh, there's one version of this track from '71. What? Yes, really? from, called yeah. "The Light," which was a 10-minute track. It's really just the riff. Na 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 na. I don't know. I think Lily White Lilith is a bit of a bitch. What's um, the name again? Lily White Lilith. It rolls off the tongue. I know. It's 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 so, so easy. easy. Um, yeah, she ghosts <laughs> Rail in the end, so I don't understand what's going on here. But um, mm. yeah, well, I think she's supposed to be the character who is like a an evil person in the. In the she's story. a phantom almost. Like she leaves him in the darkness. You know, she's she's supposed to be kind of a savior, but then abandons him. So he can't get help from anyone at this point, you know. And when he thinks that help is on the way, it's not. He is fucked. Right, exactly. And she leads him to, to the waiting room where a bunch of weird stuff goes on. But it's it's like, it's it's hope dashed very quickly. Uh, and she's, I don't know if she's evil, but she certainly isn't good. It's like a false hope. You know, there's yeah. a lot of um, references in the song to light mm-hmm. um, and leading forward. But it seems like it's uh, not not that <laughs> right. um, where Rail's going. But um, I think musically, though, this is kind of this doesn't really grab me. I feel oh, like I like this. Track. It, I like yeah. it, but it's it's one. It's like uh, what Tom was saying in the previous episode about um, 
cocoon. It's just like I would skip this, you know. Mm. I I I would honestly, if they started this album with anyway, I'd be that would be fine. Mm. I don't oh, think you're losing no. it. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, I like this track. I think it's a good track. No, I, I, I like it in general too. I I like the kind of da 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 da, the kind of repeat of the Broadway melody yeah. kind of entrance at the back. And on the remix, during that ending part, there's some backing vocals that are very far back in the um, in the original mix that are a bit more to the fore. Is that towards the end? Yeah. Because yes. I feel like is it like Phil's mumbling something Phil in the last Peter, thirty seconds? I think they're both mumbling something, what and I can't hell? make out what yeah. they're mumbling. If anybody of our if any of our listeners knows what they're saying or wants yeah. to just make something up that would be funny, yeah. we'd love to hear it. <laughs> it's very mysterious, and I I liked yeah. the addition to it, but. My notes here were here were just like that the backing vocals were just more prominent and more like spookier because of that. And listening to the original mix last night, I was like, yeah, it's still there. And you could tell that it feels like it's something very far in the distance, whereas the remix just brings it out a little bit more. So and it but it's still spooky to me as they perhaps appropriately so for what comes next. And I guess since what comes next is the second named instrumental on the album, The Waiting Room.
of a dead Wookiee in the house. <laughs> <laughs> I should have guessed. You better Chewbacca. clean that up. <laughs> <laughs> Best Genesis lyrics ever. <laughs> <laughs> and chickens. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Surprisingly my, enough, very little drinking during this episode so far. <laughs> my stark memory of the song was getting into this album when I was a teen, mm. 15, 16. And if I was going to get to an album and really concentrate, I used to put on headphones and turn out the lights. Mm. And when this song came on... And you would take your pants off. <laughs> <laughs> oh, obviously. I would cut on my prickly porcupine. <laughs> but when this came on, I... I was freaked out of my mind. Absolutely right. I had a very similar experience. I had uh, the house to myself for one evening. Mm. And so as a result, I thought to myself, now I can put on this album and listen to it on the big stereo. I'd heard the track before, but not at volume. And I sort of like got halfway through it and I went, no, no, I'm fine now. Now take that off. I'll go to it anyway. That'll be fine. Just, I, I'm glad I'm wearing brown trousers. <laughs> I think they should play this in every waiting room that you go into. <laughs> you're at the dentist's office, and you're just like, oh. I pay good money to right. do that. That's right. You're a doctor without a lot of repeat business at that point. So, but yeah, it's it, this is again. You know, Tom mentioned before about the whole idea of Genesis not having a lot of room to improv at different mm-hmm. times. You know, this is again. You know made for that you know you can be as creepy as you want in the beginning parts and then you know as triumphant in the in the end parts of this and just how you get there is always different i think with all the boots that are out there you can make like probably an album of a giant waiting room track i always thought if you ever want a, a, an album full of giant waiting room tracks just by King Crimson's Thrakatat yes. line. Yeah. Yes. It's a, it's, it's a different version of that same idea yeah. that it's just, here's a, a piece where we can do whatever we want based upon how, what we feel like today. And sometimes it's a bit more, oh, I'll play with the bird chirpy noises on the Mellotron or something. And it's a bit not friendlier, but just a bit different. And then other times it's, it's dark and creepy and scary. It's so. a main track. Yeah. yeah, I don't know if this is true or not, and I don't remember where I heard this, but you know the, there's one part where there's like a loud crashing noise, and they mm-hmm. say it was actually a thunderstorm that happened, yeah. and it actually surprised all of them, and they yeah. weren't expecting it, and they kept it in the mix. Is that correct? It is. Uh, Phil talks about that, yeah. that it's like that was right at the part, I guess, where they had rehearsed this a few times yeah. as going through these dark into light. It happened right when they were going into the light part of it, yeah. and it was just like the skies opened up, and it was Rainbow, one of those magical right, moments yeah. of recording. And so when I first got this album, it was a shitty disc, you know, like you remember those when, yeah. when double CDs yeah, yeah, were yeah. like really thick, fat boys, the yeah, Fat Boys. Yeah. And I remember hearing it, and I always thought that part was a toilet flushing. <laughs> and so when yeah. I heard the story that it was actually like a thunder crash yeah. and something more dramatic, yeah. um, it really depressed me because oh. I, I really I enjoyed that it. I thought it was, it was a toilet. toilet. Flushing. But in your in your head canon, it could still it be still a is. I think that's what keeps so. me from being terrified, like you boys, is right. that I think I'm waiting for the toilet flush. Right. 
there's there's bits of this where again listening to his headphones like right before the toilet flush mm-hmm. bit mm-hmm. there's like a part of this like and it feels like it's coming right at the top of my head yeah and it's like like the stereo in this is really cool because there's all these sounds that are coming at you from different directions and it just there's there's all these little bits in there that i'm like yeah you you can't I'm sure you can replicate this. You could probably store all this out. But I kind of say, why would you want to? Like, this is made to be different each Mm -hmm. time. Mm -hmm. And then coming out of it is a little bit more arranged with the keyboard, more triumphant sounding and everything. Maybe you finally got called into the doctor's office at that point. And you're like, yeah! (laughs) I I just love it because I always think, oh, Genesis, you couldn't just, like, do a a fully... like Yeah, a dissonant, like, (laughs) improv jam. You had to, you had to revert back. You had to arrange something. (laughs) They have to have a way to get out of this. Yeah, they, they just couldn't not fully let go but that's genesis that's why we love genesis i I love it how it evokes basically this whole idea of this grim almost cave-like chamber Mm -hmm. with these Mm -hmm. freaks sort of maybe even just sort of like lined up sitting waiting for their turn for whatever it is that's coming next and i i that's always the thing that that always hits in my mind is some kind of um uh, David Cronenberg-esque kind yeah. of grisly landscape, you know, sort of like a, a room with these very strange deformed creatures or people <laughs> and sort of, you know, wraiths or ghosts sort of like hovering in the in the middle. It's just a, it's one of those, those uh, tracks which I find incredibly evocative. Yeah. And it's one that I think you have to see live because the studio version doesn't do it justice when they perform it live because... Live, it's often twice as long. I mean, mm-hmm. they, they spread out the first half for the improvisation and they add all kinds of weird sounds. And then, which I like it because it's a bigger build up to the end light part. Mm-hmm. Whereas it seems to happen very quickly on the album where they go from light from dark to light. Whereas on in live versions, and I think one of the best, better ones is from the Empire Pool in 75. I mean, that's like a 10 minute waiting room and the first half is just all mm-hmm. weirdness. Right. And then all of a sudden you have the Boom, boom. Like you have a, you yeah. have a, you, you have the slowly rhythm starting to build up, mm-hmm. and it builds to that crescendo, which is great in concert. And then you had the the floodlights turning on the audience. Mm-hmm. You had Peter behind yeah, the screen in all these weird costumes. Yeah, and it just live. You're just like, oh my god! And, and the studio version, I don't captures what the live yeah. version does. Yeah, you're right. It's 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 definitely built to be live. Mm-hmm. It's I, I I love the album version of it, but it's it's a track meant to be heard live. So and it's I actually kind of wish that they had done it live. Like I wish that it had been a part of their set almost forever at that point, just to be like we're gonna have five or ten minutes to be weird. It's <laughs> the most out there Genesis ever got. Yeah. Yes. So what does the waiting room smell like? Are we really you, going there? <laughs> I just told you there's a toilet it's, 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 it Smells like old magazines and yeah. highlights magazines. Yes. And... I think it's ozone and, and old socks. Okay. Hot dogs. <laughs> the vegetarian in the room speaks. <laughs> well, anyway. Are the bumpy nearly over for my sweetheart? This is the one for me. Time to meet 
Anyway, all the pumping's nearly over for my sweetheart. <laughs> <laughs> fail. So close. Fail. Hashtag fail. Hashtag no. Fail. They say she comes on a fail oh. horse. All right, we'll do that over. All right. Take three. three. <laughs> anyway, they say she comes on a pale horse. Exactly. And that's what I say every time someone says anyway in a conversation. Right. Yeah, me too. Force <laughs> a habit. Force yeah. a habit. Yeah, I can't okay. not. I think I prefer all the pumpings nearly over for my sweetheart. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm sure I hear a train. Yeah. I, this is this is something which... Can we just talk a little bit about Gabriel lyrics? Yes. There's a lot of hey man, oh boy, hey babe going on in his lyrics. And um, I don't know whether or not that's his way of be- being street. Um, but... <laughs> Well, for a for a charter house lad, you know yes. the world. I mean, okay, admittedly, it's 1975. They've been out of school for a long time. They've seen a lot more than just yeah, that world. Sure. And know. this was the this was the lexicon of rock music, anyway, yeah. in the mid 70s, yeah. right? Yeah. Like, kind of, you know, the lingo and the slang, and yeah. you know, kind of being that informal, um, which. You know, in contrast to their previous albums, which mm-hmm. were based on like mythology mm-hmm. and <laughs> legends of old, um, you know, this might seem a bit, you know, jarring to the Genesis listener. I just, but... I just noticed that there was a there's a distinctive shift in uh, in tone with mm. with uh, Gabriel's lyrics on this album. Yes, and it leans more towards the mozo. Uh, post Gabriel stuff on uh, and this and this is something which uh, uh, is an opportunity for me to sort of speak about it now because when you listen to this album from a lyrical perspective you can hear 
that first Peter Gabriel yes. album starting to push through. Mm-hmm. You can hear the the moribund, the Burgermasters. You can hear the Salisbury Hills. You can you can you can even hear the sort of like you know the second album as well, sort of like the mm-hmm. DIYs yeah. of this world. Mm-hmm. Um, you can begin see the path he was on. Yeah, yeah. begin its transition yeah. in this album, yeah. lyrically yes. anyway. You're 100 percent right about that. I think that it's 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 a transition album in a lot of ways, but it's also because it's so much of Gabriel lyrics, you kind of see him kind of working through what he's growing into. Yeah. Like these are lyrics that if he had stuck around in Genesis, I'm sure he could have sung Tony and Mike and Steve lyrics moving forward, but he wouldn't have been writing the way that they did. Yeah. It would have been, I think very obvious if they continued to just group credit everything, if Gabriel had stayed, to be like, oh yeah, that's a Gabriel lyric versus that's a Mike lyric or Tony lyric or whatever. Or it might have been just Peter lyric versus the other guys because you might not have been able to see kind of if they continued to group credit everything, who wrote what. So, it's, Well, I think there, there was no going back for him after yes, this. Yes, yeah. I think, after I mean, writing everything. He's like, he's like, especially if I wrote everything now, I would have written less on the next album yeah. because it would have been to balance things out. So... You know, as a 25-year-old, it's like, well, why would I do that? <laughs> so, I mean, for me, I, I find the song a little bit anticlimactic after the waiting room. Everything you go through with the waiting room, from the weirdness to the build-up to dark to light, and then anyway comes in, it, it's kind of eh for me. Oh, but it has the great middle guitar solo. That, yeah. that I said, I said, like yeah. the jam in the middle, the guitar solo. Yeah, the solo, solo is great. Yeah. Although this is basically just frustration from the Jackson tapes redone. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's pretty yeah. much the, the, the whole song almost, yeah, except yeah. for the guitar solo. It's yeah. basically the whole song. Oh, yeah, sure. Sorry, can you... Uh, um, Say that again? No, can you <laughs> expand upon that for people who might not necessarily know what the Jackson tapes are? Sure, I think, as much as I remember, the Jackson tapes, it was four pieces that mm-hmm. they had put together for a potential film project. Yeah. And there was frustration. There was a couple others, which from 1970, from 1970, when Ant and John Mayhew were still in the band, right? And one of them was called Frustration. And if you listen to it, you're like, right off the bat, that's anyway. It's the right. same melody as anyway, yeah. except the lyrics are about making your own woman who would do what you want. So it's I a little those <laughs> weird science. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was like the weird <laughs> science lyrics. Yes. So I don't even know if they were. woman. It was really bizarre. Genesis, you're so awkward. (laughs) But I guess I could see, I don't know, for me that's like, now we're getting into side three. Not that they're spent on sides one and two, but now they're kind of going back to previous ideas to find stuff to fill out the last two sides. But I wonder if that's because, I mean, when you're generating the ideas, you don't know where they're going to be in the album. It might be that the freshest ideas went to the front. And then it was like, oh, but we have this piece of music, and that will be good for the LL song, or that will be good for Anyway, or whatever. It's kind of like, they're not necessarily saying, oh, we don't like this as much, so we'll put it on the third side. It's just, oh, we put our we put our new ideas up at the front, and here's some ideas we still like, but they're just going to be kind of at this so point. So Simon, as a musician, is that something you do? Like, do you bring Absolutely. out stuff? Yeah, like, there's... It's a new... If you if you're in a band for any length of time or you're an artist for any length of time, you have a backlog of material which mm-hmm. sits there waiting for a use. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, and again, as we we spoke about in the previous episode, mm-hmm. the sheer prolific 
uh, element that mm-hmm. was Tony Banks yes. in the band meant that they probably had hours of, of jams yeah. and, and ideas and thoughts that, uh, that never found a, a home. Yeah. And, yeah, you're right, if you're working in a, a longer format, i.e. a double album, you get the opportunity to pull some bits out of the archives, as you say. It's fascinating, really, though, to hear about things like the Jackson tapes for the simple reason that if it weren't for a project like this, would we have ever have heard any of this material? Sure, yeah. I mean, right. would it have come out? I know that Tony even said, like, for Trick of the Tale, like, Madman Moon and Trick of the Tale itself were written, like, in 1970. And it was like, oh, and they finally found a home. You know, it's just like it takes sometimes that long to find the right place for that music. It's not that it's not good. It's just that it's, oh, it anyway needed to be here because it it fit in with what the mood of that this part of the album is. Mm. Oh, Pete has some lyrics like this. Maybe it'll fit into anyway. Or maybe even Pete said, oh, that song we did back in whenever, that'll be good for now. I love the piano on this, mm-hmm. and uh, I, I do like the lyrics. I think Chamber's still better, but this mm-hmm. is a very close runner-up for yeah. best lyric and just how it sounds yeah. and, you know, Gabriel philosophizing of it here. Different um, orbits for my bones. Yeah. I like that line. Yeah, that's a great line. I mean... I mean, that last verse, I do like. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, We're yeah. winning you over again, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> it happens. <laughs> Yeah, it's 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 good deep lyrics, but it's also silly too. Yeah. So, and that's that's always a win in my book. That, that's kind of the lamb, right? Yeah, and, pretty know, much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> on it's, uh, it's it's deep, but then the more you think about it, it's like oh, it's, it's, it's not that silly. Deep. Yeah, it's, it's kind of silly, but that's fine. That's what's fun about this. Yeah. So, I think it's what keeps it from being. If it took itself too seriously, yeah, then you'd be like, oh, this is torturous. Yeah. It so. keeps it from being pretentious, and also it ke- it makes it timeless too. Yeah. I mean, because we have no idea what the fuck's going on here, we can listen to it at any time, right. and it's not tied to a time exactly. or tied to an experience. It just exists in its own weird way. <laughs> there was one other thing I was going to mention, which is this really was um, apart from maybe the Duke uh, trilogy sort mm-hmm. of, of songs. The only really long song format that they did, which was first person, I'm not entirely sure if you could say the same of Supper's Ready, but maybe you could. Because I know I, I'm thinking more specifically about the Battle of Epping Forest, where it's mm-hmm. there are many, many characters. Yeah, but it's removed. It's somebody telling this story yes, versus exactly. somebody in the story singing about it. Uh, you see, the thing is, I've always thought that, for example, Supper's Ready, mm-hmm. I've never been fully convinced that that's a first person throughout. I'm fairly sure that there are people out there in podcast land that are throwing their shoes at the uh, <laughs> at their phones right now for me saying right, that. But this is the first... And, and and really only attempt at a, at a first-person narrative yeah. all the way through, even though there are many characters yeah. that are involved in it. And there still is sometimes the, the omniscient narr- narrator singing, too, as about you say, the as story. You, as you but there's a lot of firsts, yeah. yeah. So, And this is, this is a first-person song. This is really kind of connecting, kind of the... It, it almost feels like, to me, like, Rail is like... When am I gonna get out of here? Like, how long is this gonna go on for? You get the sense of that yeah. building throughout the the, the the last two sides. That yeah. that sense of frustration with with Rail, like yeah. everything he seems to do yeah. to get him out of the situation is not getting him anywhere. Is not getting him anywhere. And of course, you know, the other thing is that that first side, he's a, a horrible, violent kid. Yeah. 
you know, with no idea what's happening in the world. By the end of the the album, and we're starting to see this change now, we're starting Mm. to see a very different kind of rail Mm. at this point in the story. You need to care about other people. Exactly, yeah. The empathy is starting to show through even as things are getting weirder and weirder. And now he's going to have to wait for, although somebody's very rarely late, Mm -hmm. but he'll have to wait for the supernatural anesthetist. That's one I can't say. Oh, all right. Well, here comes the supernatural anesthetist. 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 Anesthesia. Anesthesianist. Of my favorite moments on the lamb, I think there's the flying on the windshield moment. Yeah. yeah. The crash, the band coming in, the burn it to ash on back in New York City. Yeah. And the segue from anyway to here comes the supernatural and the East I don't know what it is, but this is another highlight for me on the album, this this song. And and I think that Tom's absolutely right. The segue between the previous track and this one is mm-hmm. brilliant. And it's simple, but it's it just takes you someplace. Like, you know that it's almost like crossing a threshold. Like, all of a sudden now, maybe he's coming into a smoother part. It's almost like the rapids giving way to, like, a shimmering pool of of water. I don't know where I'm going with that. I hope it's water. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just so nice. And it gives you like a, a room to breathe and like, ah, it's like a, mm-hmm. a musical sigh of relief. And it's got some fabulous lead guitar yeah, work. Yeah. I mean, yeah. this is a real um, moment for Hackett. So oh, yeah. To shine. It's, it's his, I think, believe he wrote the music for this one too. It's kind of like he, I know that Gabriel's talked about on the interviews that like if, Whoever kind of was the prime music person was sometimes like the captain of that song, yeah. like in the that arrangement and stuff. Fans. Yeah, and and but he also kind of the way he said it made it sound like, but really I was the captain for everything. <laughs> that was kind of the implied subtext of what he was saying. I let them think that, but uh, but I think he either Steve or he said he's like, oh yeah, this was one that that Steve took the lead on because it is very guitar centric. And it has that bit of vocals at the beginning, but then this long guitar solo that is really fun. And there's part of the keyboards in the second half of it that almost sound like they're vocals. Yeah. Like, and maybe they are vocals combined. It's the way they go, la, 
yeah. yeah. It's almost Beatlesque. Yeah, it? it's very cool. And I, I, it's actually one I would love to see Hackett revisit now because it is something that is, if he took, if it was his song initially, I would love to just see him kind of break that out in the present to mm. see kind of how he treats it and everything. Plus the fact, who thinks of the idea of a supernatural anaesthetist? <laughs> That's just, that blows my mind. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, he's, he's such a fine dancer. I go back to my, I still um, go back to what I said in the first episode, this album was partially sponsored by <laughs> substances. Right. <laughs> well, that's Phil. Right? Uh, yeah. He's such a fine dancer. Yeah, that is oh, Phil singing. That, that sing yeah, I can't sing Peter. I don't think I even can't Peter can. And I have ovaries. That's crazy. <laughs> but I do think that if I remember correctly, I think the slides for this it was a picture of an African American guy on a pogo yes, stick. Yes, it's if the I remember. best part of seeing the musical box doing this live was yeah. the pogo stick guy. Yeah, and it's just like, oh, it's, it's very seventies. It's, it's so seventies and so silly. Can we take a moment just to um, sidestep? I know I'd like to talk a little bit more about this song, but Mm -hmm. the actual show that they put on Mm -hmm. for the for the album when they toured it, I know that um, the musical box have 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 done this uh, on a couple of occasions, and I actually saw uh, a European band called Regenesis do do this as well. Um, And I'm I'm fascinated with sort of with the actual sort of like visual presentation that they did that that went along with this and. uh, and I wonder exactly whether or not they actually had that in mind when they were making the album. If, the, like, how it was going to be presented. Yeah. I would think this is more supposition on my part, is that I think that Peter was thinking about that just because with the lead time with recording and knowing that they were going to tour for it, they needed to get things ready for it. I mean, there wasn't... The stage set wasn't super. There weren't like set changes or anything like that, other than putting out this tube for the for the uh, Slipperman thing. Mm. And the only real costume change, besides because generally Gabriel just had the leather jacket on for Rail, is maybe kind of the leotardy add-on for the Lamia when this spinning tube came down, and then the big Slipperman costume. Everything else was just leather jacket and jeans. So it was a little bit more... But that audio-visual thing, that's way ahead of its time. Those slides, those three slide things, that was a lot of of work went into that. That's a TED talk. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, (laughs) yeah, it's a PowerPoint presentation up here. Let me tell you about, you know, let's show you where the penis goes from this in here to there. So get your laser pointer out. and, And I, it's... It's interesting. I don't know if if Kirkman's book talks a bit more about the prep for that. I think Peter said at one point that when prepping for the stage show, it was generally just him. He said, and I think that Mike Rutherford might have expressed some interest in helping out and doing some things, but it was generally Peter and maybe a little bit of Mike talking about the staging of it all. He said the other guys couldn't care less. Tony Banks was still to to stage right, wasn't he, at this point? Yeah. He only ever went stage centre for the for the mummer tour, Correct. didn't he? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So essentially they were decked out with Mike up on the left hand side where Chester would eventually yep. sort of inhabit. Mm-hmm. Uh, Steve down in front. Steve down in front with Phil at the back with all of his like yep. percussion things and probably the biggest set I think yeah. he said yeah. that he had in any Genesis tour. Set, so. mm-hmm. Not it, just pieces of the drum kit, but 
bells and whistles. Yeah. And... It was full on. He was doing full on Neil Peart at that yeah, point, yeah. sort of like that that kind of almost orchestral. That's why he he could just sit back there, do his do his drum stuff for two hours, and be a happy guy. So. Uh, and to bring it back to this song, to bring it back yeah. to the supernatural anaesthetist, it is a. It's a fascinating song because there seems to be a lot of of this happening in the album where you get something that moves the storyline forward and then there's almost a respite track. And this certainly feels like it, that a moment of not necessarily counting out time Mm -hmm. joviality, but certainly a lightness to this one. And it's kind of like, here's some music for you. So yes. you can sit back and relax and just don't worry about the story. Here's a guitar solo for you with some cool arrangements around it and everything. Gives Peter time to change into his leotard and, you know, he'll be he'll be fine with that. So I think it's it's well placed there that it's like, oh, you're getting some music here. And I think that in the past it was one of those tracks for me that was like, eh, I can live without it. And now I'm like, oh, I really like the guitar part in this. I really like the solo. It kind of And this links it back to what I was saying, because I, I get the sense that this was one of those moments where Peter Gabriel was off stage frantically sort of like leaping out and yes. into costume. Yes. Yeah, but they weren't thinking about that when they were writing. I don't know. This is but I imagine that but that's the yeah, rhythm of like yeah. like, oh, if if we can do this, if I have a break here then I could do this. So let's make sure that this piece of music that has a minute or two where I can do this or a couple minutes, mm-hmm. we can do this. And you can also, stri- if I am if I can't get my leg into the leotard, you can go for another eight bars in the solo. Because yeah. it has that very, very um, ambiguous ending to it where it, yeah, it just sort of like seems to f- sort of stop. And then these sort of chords with these yes. cymbal washes. Yeah. And I always get, and, and of course you've got that lovely bit of guitar work yes. from, uh, uh, from, from Steve as well. Yeah. And these beautiful chords which seem to have no bearing to one another and yet fit together so beautifully. Welcome to Genesis. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's what that's all about. So, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, you're right. I think they, they that's one of those moments where I think on stage they might have had a chance to maybe vamp a bit. Yeah, yeah. Look off stage, see if he's ready. Yet. <laughs> yeah. uh, if not, keep from going. the stage manager, yeah. whoever's running the show with that. So. The cone is ready. Stop. That's right. But good song. Yeah. Oh yeah. Love it. So, so we'll go now into perhaps the pinnacle of weirdness in this album, the Lamia. The scent grows richer. He knows he must be near. He finds a long passageway lit by chandelier Each step he takes, the perfumes change From familiar fragrance to flavors strange A magnificent chamber meets his eye Shrouded by fine mist Stepping in the moist silence With a warm breeze he's gently kissed Thinking he is quite alone He enters the room as if it were his own But ripples on the sweeping water Reveal some company thought of Rail stands astonished Three. 
I just talked about this being the pinnacle of weirdness about this because he does bathe naked with a couple female snakes and then when they <laughs> die he eats them. Um, it's pretty weird. Okay, I for a Saturday, granted. Exactly. Yeah. So I'm, I'm just saying on its surface, I and I I would imagine what you would might say could be weirder. Slipperman, but yeah, I mean, yeah. well, I think I think they're equally disturbing, yeah. <laughs> um, in different ways. So we'll let's a, let's yes. agree. Can we agree on that? Of course, yes. Um, but with that being said, and this is one again. This is um, the Lamia kicks off a suite of of cringiness for me <laughs> um, in this album. But um, this is one of their most underrated tracks yes. in mm. Genesis history. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. like it is gorgeous, and it let's you know. Let's, call it as we see it it's a tony Banks song Mm -hmm. um but it is yeah it i wish this got more love from the fans and i don't know if it's because it's on the you know the second album if you will and it's Mm. not part of the blockbuster first two sides but i always thought the song did get a lot of love from the fans like when it's played everyone seems to go gaga over it i'm the only one who's like eh like Maybe I'm just thinking of you. <laughs> it's a song that, that again, you know, other than on the Lamb tour, it was never played live by Genesis. Steve did it, I think, on the initial Hatchet, Revis- Hatchet Revisited, Genesis Revisited shows. Yeah. Um, and it is, it's a weird one because it doesn't, you have to know the Lamb for it to connect lyrically. Well, um, and I, I used to be like you, Tom. I didn't like this, like, or it yeah. was just, it kind of washed over yeah. me for, like, the first probably 15 years. And it was only in recent times um, that I really, like, was like, wow. And I think it was, um, I think it was our friends, Adam and Angelo's, the two piano mm-hmm. um players who who do the Genesis material, a version that they did that mm-hmm. really, like, Oh, illuminated this this track for me, mm-hmm. um, and I found a, a newfound love for it. Um, but it does have a breadbin moment on it with oh. the use of the word nibble. <laughs> How do you oh. sing nibble? <laughs> yes, I for me it's like it's one of those songs that it does like Stacy said, just kind of wash over you. But then when you kind of read the lyrics, you're like, oh, this is just as a set of lyrics is put together really well, I think. In which um, I'd lain entwined. Yeah, it's, it's a little <laughs> stiff at times, but it's yeah. but there's just so much there that, you know, inside a lawn, rosewater pool, shrouded by fine mist, stepping in the ro- moist silence with a warm breeze he's gently kissed. You know, there's there's a lot of imagery there. There's a lot of story that, being told. Yeah, yeah. And, it's, and it, as much as it is wordy, it also feels very economical. Mm-hmm. Like it's it is a romantic song, um, 
telling this very strange story, but it's it also gets very sad at the end with each empty snake-like body floats, silent sorrow in empty boats, a great phrase. Um, A sickly sourness fills the room, the bitter harvest of a dying bloom. It's, it's, like, that part of it really works for me. Mm-hmm. I'm amazing that Red Bull have not uh, taken up the uh, the tagline, <laughs> we have been waiting for our waters to bring you cool. Mm, yes. <laughs> so that's uh, many soft drink companies could go that route, yeah, I think. Yeah. So It's very much like, the song is kind of very similar to Carpet Crawlers, where there's a lot of lyrics which don't necessarily you understand, but the word flow yeah. is very nice. The only difference, I think, why that song is kind of stuck in fans' heads is because, one, it's got a good chorus. Mm -hmm. And I think just live, it comes across better. The way that this was done live, you kind of want to see Peter's emotion. And if these are really evocative lyrics and he's Mm -hmm. really getting into them, you don't see him because he's covered in a tube, which is static during the verses and I think starts spinning during the chorus. Mm. I think this was also a point where the band was like, all right, this is... Dude. Come on. Yeah. Like, yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. you have like this, what could be a really beautiful song and towards the end you have a nice guitar solo from Steve Hackett. Yeah. But everyone's watching this spinning weird yeah. tube and it kind of, that I think epitomized people focusing mm. on the visuals and not the music. Yeah. Although during during Gabriel's back to front tour for the So album when he did that a couple of years back, there was a time during the encore for the Tower That Ain't People that this tube thing came down from the top, kind of enveloped him, and I was like, the Lamia! The Lamia! <laughs> I knew he wasn't going to do it, but I was just like, this is very evocative oh of that era. Oh my god, you are a Genesis have, fan. But, yeah. but then on when we saw it in the theaters, they kind of interspersed it with uh, interviews with Gabriel, and he was like, yeah, many, it's like that kind of was like back at the Gabriel, back yeah, in the Genesis good. days. Like he acknowledged that it was similar to that, that it had echoes of that. And I was like, yes. He was like, and there was one asshole calling out the lamb. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I think his name was Mike Lord. That's no, right. I, yeah. and I, I think, am happy to be. <laughs> and since we're kind of talking about this in a live context, I think yeah. it would have been super cool if they had like a female chorus or a couple Ooh. singers because they're to represent. to represent the voice of the Lamia yes. and just to add another texture to well, it. Well, now when we yeah. put out our cover version yeah. of the tabletop Genesis <laughs> version of these tracks, we got a part will, for you. I will be away. I think I have to wash my hair <laughs> and the sun will be in my eyes. And I yeah. know, do a high voice then. One, yeah. fr- one phrase I do like is during the instrumental piano part, mm-hmm. it kind of harkens back to the instrumental beginning in the middle of Firth of Fifth. You have the you have the right left right hand oh, yeah. doing something, yeah, and then you have the right hand going like down and up yeah. the scales again. Okay. So it kind of took me back right. to like the beginning. I'm sorry, of the but that sounded like the theme tune to Batman. You were just Slipper Man. Oh, we're ruining this song. Yeah, sorry, everyone. <laughs> and supposedly he based a lot of it on a poem by Keats. So. Yeah, the Lamia are some sort of... Right, he has a long poem. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Lamy. he does. Keats, let's it's Keats. I had to read it in school. It was... Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. so that's... So I actually knew about Lamia before I heard this album. No. I oh, felt so cultured. <laughs> so, again, the weirdness part of this, you know, looking for motion I know I will not find. I stroked the curls now turning pale in which I'd lain entwined. Oh, Lamia, your flesh that remains I will take as my food. 
All right, why not? You must be really fucking hungry. <laughs> yes, it is the scent. It is the scent of garlic. <laughs> this is the scent of garlic that lingers on my chocolate fingers. Okay, looking behind me, the water turns icy blues. The lights are dimmed, and once again, the stage is set for you. That this happens over and over again. I'm, I I'm love a, that. Yes, I'm That's a sucker fun. for yeah, that. That is cool. The very fact that he has to eat this crap over and over again, it's like going to Taco Bell, isn't it? (laughs) And that the lobby just kind of set this up for the next random film comes through. That's what they'll do. So this is what you're waiting for. I I love, I mean, there's a lot of implied Sisyphean tasks of having Mm -hmm. to roll rocks uphill, Mm -hmm. then rolling down and having to start the whole thing again. Indeed. I thought there was going to be more to that. I was just, I was just think, I was trying to think of how to transition from here into silent sorrow and empty boats, um, and I think that's it. There we go. Another small instrumental. I love this. This is just, again, after the Lamia to kind of have a bit of a breather, knowing, again, what we know now, that stage show-wise, this is getting ready for the the big costume of the show. But it's just a very melancholy, reflective piece of music that when it does come on, if if I have all my music on and at random play and this comes on, it's very hard to not... Just kind of sit and go, ah, just take a little break from the world for about two minutes and then be like, all right, it's recharged. Very, it's very Eno-esque. Mm. I, it sounds very Hackett to mm. me. I can kind of, this is where, we were talking earlier about how you can hear, you know, this is the path that Peter's going to be on. This mm-hmm. song makes me think, oh, this is the path Steve will be on. And I wonder, um, and even still, like, throughout this album, I always wonder, like, ooh, what, you know, he might have borrowed for that. Because mm-hmm. did he, let me just back up, did he record Voyage after this? After. After It was this. after the tour. After the so, tour. Yeah. So, yeah, I can kind of see some... This yeah. song in particular stands out as something that I could totally hear on Voyage yeah, or even might. future... Yeah. Um, Hackett solo albums and it's great it is a nice again another palate cleanser um, the album I think of the of the short instrumental title bits of between this ravine hairless heart this wins for me hairless heart is close but this just 
it works better for me also because it has the title silent sorrow and empty boats i think mm -hmm. that's again very evocative of what you're feeling during this you're right. yeah. yes yeah. And it's got bells. I love bells. Mm, That's yeah. my you and your bells. Me and my bells. They, you, know, <laughs> yeah. you can can picture Phil back there, hammering at those very lightly, subtly. Yeah. It's very nice. Now, odd way to end side three. I don't know if is it something that oh, will yeah. you listen to it. You're like, oh, after Silent Sorrow, I know what he was. I gotta hear side four and see how it goes. It's for me it would be ah okay. I'm ready for side four now. Like it, it's almost calms you down a little bit to say. I got one side. I've been through three sides of this, and now I can get to the fourth one. Like, so it, like that's what it feels like. You're to at me. the crest of the roller coaster, yeah, yeah. suspended for yep. a second. Yep. Or on the wave, going. However you want to think about. Speaking that. of that, this being the last track, it does. In the dying moments of this track, it does have one very strange thing, which is it. It seems to fade away, and you think the track is going to end, and then all of a sudden, the Mellotron comes back in for a few seconds. Yes. And then fades away. Another wave type yeah. of feel to it. So yeah, I I love all this. So, and then there's the fart noise at the end, which on my version is a little surprising. <laughs> Are you sure that's on the album? Oh, sorry, that's just me. <laughs> there's a fart noise. No. <laughs> oh no! I so want there to be. <laughs> well, you are the audio editor. So. Now we go from silent sorrow into the colony of Slipperman.
this is where I put, okay, now we're getting weird. <laughs> if it, <laughs> it's, a it's a happy weird. If it hadn't been weird so far, this is a really odd beginning of a side, especially with the quirky, I don't know, plucking of mm. Steve Steve Hackett. It's yeah. all Japanese Koto sort yeah, of like that, and maybe Mike's doing stuff in there too. Like it's the keyboards doing little light lines. Although now I can't listen to this part without picturing Peter crawling out of a Peter, because this is this is <laughs> this is what he was doing yes. on stage during this yes. instrumental opening. Yeah, and I just can imagine the audience being, "What the hell is going yeah. on?" I mean, that's just it's bizarre, even for. Prog bands. My first note, which has I've never written before, penis tube. <laughs> penis tube. I was like, all right. And you know, it's funny. I have a bunch of live versions of this album that friends of mine gave me and stuff like that. And and so this part is often stretched out. <laughs> and is and there was a bit where I was listening to it where I was like, oh. Steve's actually doing something from one of his later solo albums. Like he's playing huh. a melody that he used, like in you know, on one of his last two or three solo albums in there, or maybe from the early two thousands. And I was like, oh, that's kind of cool that that might have stuck in his head somewhere. Yeah. So, um, I just like the idea of the guys sitting around one day and the door bursting open, and it's Peter Gabriel going. Lads, <laughs> I've got this great idea about how I come back on stage at right. this point. Here's the costume, and it's got eyes and heads, and the microphone barely fits. I'm in thinking, here. I'm thinking leprosy and cocks. <laughs> <laughs> if you think you hated the fox in the red dress, yeah, wait till you'll see this. Yeah. That was almost the name of the album, Leprosy and Cocks. <laughs> so, the Lamb Lies Down of Broadway is a bit more evocative, I think. Yeah. So, but th- I love this track just because it is. It's it it masks its weirdness in very happy, bubbly, keyboardy type of song, and it just has a real story feel to it. Like it feels like this is the most coherent part, coherent story wise. Maybe not weirdness wise, but it just is like here we are. We're in this weird colony. We all got fooled by the Lamia. We're all this weird things, but we do have a solution for you. Mm-hmm. You just have to cut your penis off. And then that's fine. <laughs> I love the fact that this is, you can definitely feel that this is a sister track to In the Cage. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I thought it was very. I mean, I know they yeah. linked the two live later on, but those mm. are the solos. But yeah. there, there's definitely a kind of a feel about the two of them. Yes. It's like yes. a distant West Virginian cousin. Yeah. Something yeah. Like that. That's right. Mm-hmm. I think they should be married. I'm glad you pointed that out because they have always felt linked to me. They're the two yeah. kind of longest pieces on the album, about eight minutes or so each. And they just really have this feel to them that is similar. Maybe it's that burbly keyboard in there that's, you know, just a different type of thing from one song to the other, but very similar. So, yeah. There's a lot of similarity in, in the in the approaches for, to both tracks, certainly. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of good background guitar work, yeah. which shouldn't have been mm-hmm. as background as it was yeah. from Hackett. That's going all throughout the beginning of this, but it's mm-hmm. just a little bit overshadowed by that keyboard, which yeah. is a good keyboard. But I think if you really focus on guitar work, you're like, I wish that had been mm-hmm. higher. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Which the live versions, as you hear more of it coming out, like it, his guitar does get louder throughout the tour. Yeah. So like, or more prominent, maybe that's not louder, but I think that... Part of it is him becoming comfortable with these pieces as they go on. So, and it, and it does carry one of the most iconic keyboard solos. Yes. And I like the word slubberdoodlians. <laughs> That's from uh, was it Blake? 
Yeah. Well, it's the wandered lonely as a cloud, isn't that Blake also? So this is Wordsworth. Wordsworth, sorry. one of those dead poets. Yeah, exactly. So we're showing off our literary knowledge. You see, the thing is that you're 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 enamored with that, but I think the yellow plastic shooby doo is the yes. That I like that too. So yellow plastic shooby doo. That's Adam Sandler singing there, I think. So I mean, like it kind of harkens back to. Their early days when you'd have multi-character songs. Yeah. You have the Doctor, you have Rail, obviously. John's in there, the Raven. Um, and the, 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 and the, it's the fun. Alli- it's the, fun. The, but it's the alliterative quality. Yes. Right. Doctor Viper, Reformed Sniper, you know, the, all of that kind of... That wordplay is really yeah. Cool. My grip must be flipping because his handshake keeps slipping. Yeah. My hopes keep on dipping and his lips keep on smiling all the time. Mm-hmm. I love this stuff. This is great. This is the best song about chopping off a penis <laughs> and putting it in a tube I've ever heard. And then, oh wait, and then a bird steals it. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, the Raven part of it uh, recalls a keyboard theme which was used, again, in the light. Towards the okay. end of the light, oh. the beginning uses is reused in Lily White Lilith. Mm-hmm. Towards the end, there's the keyboard. Which is in the Raven. And also... Another lead vocal uh, from Phil. Yes, playing Brother John. So yeah. that was a, that was a leather jacket moment. I bet for you. Well, that no, I was saying that was a big debate on the oh, boards a while ago. Was what, that Phil? What, does Phil sing that? Does not Phil? Yeah. yeah. Some people were like, no, no, and it and it certainly it was not on first listen apparent to me that it was Phil singing. I think it was at some point after that where I was like wait a second, Phil's doing that. Phil's playing Brother John. What does that mean for the rest of the album now? Is anytime Phil's singing, is that actually Brother John singing? Was the walrus really poor? <laughs> exactly. So this is what you argue about when you're in your teens and 20s. So, or 40s. And, uh, <laughs> and so it works out. I love this. It's, it's, it's just such a happy song. And... It the album kind of needed this at this point a fairly str- I'm gonna say straightforward track that musically I think yeah, straightforward yeah. that it, it does grab you in and it gets you maybe reengaged if you were kind of fading a little bit after oh it's been you know 60 minutes of music and what's happening yeah I remember so. my er, like first listening to this um, even though again cringing rolling my mm. eyes at the lyrics I did I was like reinvigorated by this track yeah. I was like okay yeah here we go this is music again this is a song <laughs> yes. um, and with that uh, strange almost counting bubbity bubbity yeah yeah oh I love bubbity, that bubbity. Yeah. yeah yeah it's fun I keep going back to that but it it's my overwhelming feeling about this although there is serious stuff that happens with this you know John leaving rail yeah. he walks away and leaves me once again and very sad sounding but it's and it's rail's loss that you feel in that but it still is almost like well yeah, but things are gonna be okay you just have to kind of get through your your slipper man pain and things will be a little bit better that's one of the reasons why I like some of the outtakes like John you wanker come back here <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I song about yeah that, so. I like this song I, and thank you Peter Gabriel for giving me the phrase honey pouch for balls because <laughs> that's you know officially now what it's gonna be called come here baby <laughs> wear your honey pouch uh, yeah. low the way I like it <laughs> don't delay dot the dick I'll watch his countdown timer tick you know, it's poetry it's, it is, you know? it's, it's, it's so dumb and fun and it's eh, I love it and then he ends with a bunch of ache words which is kind of odd way to end it 
Oh yeah, make, take, snake. He's like, are you guys gonna end the tape? Stop me! Stop me anytime. Stop it. Cake. That's why we stopped at cake. Time for lunch. So yeah, this is this is a fun tune. I'm glad that everybody likes this. But now we will go deep into the ravine. Now I'm guessing this track is there to let Peter Gabriel get out of his get costume. Get out of the, the Lamier costume, exactly. Get out of the Superman costume. Yeah, two minutes of five seconds of wind sounds with a little bit of keyboard melody in there. I'm, I'm amazed they actually called this a separate track. Yeah. Uh, but somebody brought it up to me that this was used in uh, a Ken Burns documentary. What? As background music, not for the Civil War, but one of his more recent Vietnam. ones. It was a Vietnam one right. where it was, I guess, somebody, uh, one of a Genesis fan who I know was telling me that um, that they were watching, and all of a sudden there was this kind of, you know, windy, <laughs> and it was like, and I recognize this, and then it was like, oh, that's Ravine, and it was credited at the end, you know, when they list the music and everything. It was, you know, written by the five of them, and it was like, oh, good to see that being licensed in a weird way. So. Yeah. So and that person must have been the one person who voted it as their favorite track. Because <laughs> uh, Ken Burns actually. It was Ken, Ken Burns. Burns. Thanks <laughs> for listening. I just for me I just put it was forgettable and really just a chance for Pete to change costumes. And I believe I'll give credit, I believe that was Chris West who told me about that. So I hope I'm getting that correct. Thanks, Chris. Thank, Thank you, Chris. You. <laughs> because I haven't I wanted to see that documentary, I just hadn't. So uh, anything out uh, anything else on Ravine? Let's climb out. All right, we're going to have to, yes. <laughs> we're going to uh, get a little sad now, and the light's going to die down on Broadway. Yeah. 
the one thing I will say about the uh, previous track, Moving Into the Light, okay. is that um, there is some artistic merit in, in separating some of the more heavier aspects, mm. uh, certainly when it comes to the lyrical aspects, with this sort of sonic landscape, which mm. you can take a moment to to reflect upon what on earth is happening and uh, right. and and get take your breath before uh, before the next weird thing yeah going straight from slipperman in into light dies down doesn't really make sense i was just surprised that it was even titled something different yeah. in there not wasn't just part 4 of slipperman in some ways because it even was segmented out there into two or three uh three segments i remember this being uh this track though for me being the the one moment where I genuinely thought to myself, they're doing that Sergeant Pepper thing where they're revisiting a a previous track mm. with a slightly different slant upon it, and it's it it's one of those things which, as a youngster, delighted me. Sure, I loved that. I love that sense of of returning to a theme, mm-hmm. especially when you consider that the the theme really only starts to develop halfway through this song. Mm-hmm. Right. The, the re you know the return to it. Yeah. Yeah, I I I really like this. To me, this is, if not the emotional core of the album for me, lyrically, it's pretty up there. And when I saw the musical box do The Lamb for the first time back in 2005 or so or four, whenever they were first touring it, like this was the part that when this song started, I was like, all right, guys, pull this off. I was like, because this needs to work in order for the rest of the album to work. And it did. I was like, okay, this is... It really made me feel like like if I had been around in 74, 75 seeing this tour, this was the emotional payoff I was looking for because I, I bought into it at that point. Um, I thought it was great. I mean, as an emotional payoff, I agree. I really like it, especially some of the later verses in it. And for me, I would have ended the album with this song hmm. maybe switched up some of the instrumentals before this right in the scree and before this so you have a chance to get that great jam but for me it is the high point of the album and hmm. everything after it isn't as satisfying as this because you've just listened to 60 70 minutes of music he comes to this and then i don't think the following tracks live anywhere mm. they all get lower quality to me mm. after this i mean it's yeah to me it's it sounds like it, an ending track yeah. so then it keeps going you're like oh okay mm. um although there's not, not that much after it mm. um you know it's it's like the lord of the rings there's like five endings <laughs> <laughs> the lamb has a few endings um well it's yeah it's it's like the hero makes his choice he yeah. could leave but right. he goes back for his brother and that's hey john that's yeah. that's that moment where it's like oh this works mm-hmm. and and it is one of those rare moments of uh what's the word coherence yes in an otherwise very very confusing yes. storyline rail's given a clear choice here of what to do leave escape this whatever weird world he's in or stay and help his brother out maybe if he's able to help him and he makes the right choice. He makes the moral choice. The moral choice, sure. So I, I, I like that. This is supposedly. I think John's a dick, but you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, John hasn't been that helpful in this uh, in this voyage. But it's the Mike and Tony wrote the lyrics for this supposedly, so it's it's a non-Peter thing, which is what I was surprised that Peter had them write something that was so central to the story. But maybe that was also kind of a 
Well, because you guys haven't written any lyrics, let me give you a big chunk of it. Or this. maybe Mike and Tony were like, for fuck's sake, we're going to write something straightforward. <laughs> I'm, and, with, I'm with that and, lady and, over you know, there. Like, okay. let's, uh, let's just spell this out because right. they don't know what's going on. Right. So this is, it's funny to me, I read this as an, the interpretation Mike and Tony have of what's been going on right. before. And they're like, all right, Pete, we got to wrap this up. You're going yeah. to you're gonna choose to stay here. You're going to get the fuck out. You're going to shit or get off the pot. And that's really... What oh, this song is. And yeah. so they had him staying, but in reality, Peter ended up leaving. Oh. oh. My, my shooby doo is so hard right now. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell. Even though this could have ended, for me, the album here, I, I do love the transition to riding the screen. Yeah, I think it's a great. I felt it in my bones. <laughs> it's a real Adams family moment. <laughs> As we're. Moving into that, why don't we jump down and start riding the scree? I count to nine every time I listen to this because it's in nine, much like Apocalypse in nine eight. It's you can go through your head with that. I think keyboards, keyboards, Tony's. I think Tony's keyboards. <laughs> I think Tony's insane solo in this yeah. is again one of his other finest moments. Um, just because it Often is so overlooked. yes, because it's so different from all, usually he's so melodic with things, and this is just sheer speed and craziness that he could play repeatedly. It sounds more like a sound effect than a keyboard yeah, right. solo. Yeah. yeah. And I think they, they, along with some of the other jams from Slipperman, which they revisited in later tours, mm-hmm. I think they recognized how fun this instrumental part is to play, so they incorporated it in, I think, probably starting in the Cinema Mama Tour. Yeah. Now, actually, in, um, 
in uh, and then there were three tours when they first started to do that to do bits from the in a in a faster <laughs> key. I'm sorry, I'm such a fan of yours. Yes. Yeah, and uh, they would play it faster than it's played here. <laughs> and it replaced that part that was actually kind of boring in the original cinema show keyboard solo. So, a good replacement. So when I first heard this song, was the same year that Stone Temple Pilots um, released their single for Vaseline. Okay. It sounds exactly the same. The guitar, the riff in Vaseline is the same as Ride and Scream. Really? Yes. And Could I hope, be the same time signatures too. I don't know. I don't know, but it is that do 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 like that. Okay. Is exactly the same. Huh. Do you know the song? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I the thing I love about this is okay, it might be in nine eight, but it's got a great groove yes. to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Really, really good. It wasn't until I think a long time after hearing this album that I was like, wait a second. I was like counted it out and I was like, Oh, it's nine eight. I'm not great at counting out time signatures, but I was like, Oh. <laughs> yeah, not like most of us, but you know, I'll yeah. take credit no, where I can credit. Yeah, oh well. <sighs> Come on, you had to say Yeah, I guess so. But uh, but this was I, I find this to be, you know, again after it's kind of it's the transition to the next emotional high in this album for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, looking at it with force with hindsight now, I see that for what it is. I think it was a little bit, you know, in the moment you're kind of like after the high of Light Dies Down on Broadway, it is like, oh, where are we going with this? Like it almost it almost did feel like that yeah. was the end. I think they could have gone to this jam there's some pretty fun lyrics at the end you know evil Knievel you got nothing on me (laughs) yeah Uh, like keep building that up and either then have a big ending or fade out to the end of the album and I would have been happy with that because uh, for me as a double concept album I want some payoff for having spent the time invested in listening to it from start to finish and other albums bring me there, even like Dark Side of the Moon will bring me there, The Wall brings me there, mm-hmm. other things do. And at the end, I'm just like, which is why it's not up on one of my top favorite albums, because of the of the totality of it, by the time I get to the end, it doesn't get, do it for me. But that has been the leitmotif throughout the entire album. If you take mm-hmm. what I was talking about in the previous episode mm-hmm. about the fact that In the Cage never resolves, it's right. total tension yeah. all the way through... It's the same with this album. I'm not entirely sure that that's intentional, but I certainly think uh, that it, it's it's self-consistent. It's it never, ever lets up. It's always unresolved from beginning to end. And honestly, you know, thinking about the context in which this album was made, if they had more time and there wasn't the pressure from the record company to get it out, and there wasn't, you know, the personal stuff that was going on in their lives, which they've openly talked about, I feel like we might have gotten a better resolution and a better mm-hmm. end. Because in my, maybe just in my head, I feel like they wrote this album maybe lin- like in a linear linear way. Well, I know you said like certain pieces, yeah. like it, I think as a whole, and then they went, oh yeah, we have some gaps, and they filled yeah. it in. But I think their their plan was to 
kind of do a beginning to end. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, when they got to the end, it was just like, well, we don't know how to end this because we yeah. don't know what we've been endings talking about. Yeah. <laughs> endings are tough. Yeah. And, you know, especially it's, it's, if Peter was late with lyrics, exactly. you know, it's hard to know what you should be writing to. I, I can certainly yeah. see a musical ending with with uh, with yeah. this yes. heading towards you, but the narrative one, I'm, I'm totally with Tom Oh on yeah, this. narratively, it's, it, it does fall short. I, I do bet that, you know, after... Tony's keyboard solo in here. I bet he was really pissed when Peter started singing over his keyboards <laughs> because it still is kind of doing individual notes there, and then it comes in with you know struggling down the slope, and it's like, yeah, that was probably keyboard solo. Tony's still going at that point, mm-hmm. so. But that's just knowing Tony talking about that. Peter would sing over these parts. I'm like, I bet that's one of the parts that he was not. I, happy I was going to ask about this. Was it, there is a quality to to the entire storyline, which is that whole business of dreams mm. and the fact that so many people have these these dreams where they're having to move from one place to another or being chased i don't know if it's everybody but the, a lot of people tend to talk about albums where i had to be at a certain place sorry dreams i had to be at a certain place at a certain mm-hmm. time and i was late i could not find my way through this area because it was a maze mm. and we've often talked and and i think um talked about it in the past and I think Peter has himself about how he gains a huge amount of uh, of inspiration from his dreams sure. well spoiler alert John isn't really his brother so <laughs> what? I know I'm sorry Stacey. so I'm sorry not this far uh, <laughs> I had never listened to this album <laughs> no but I, I think it's, it's like I, I just wanted to echo what Simon was saying in terms of the dreams but then also this kind of who are you and mm. you people have multiple sides to them and mm-hmm. You know, you get pulled in different directions and, mm. you know, things like that. So there's a, I feel like there's a, the ideas there about this, you know, um, this duality of life and, you know, you come to the fork in the road. There's all these high ideologies and philosophies and themes going on, but to put it to paper, yeah. pen to paper and, and, and really bring it to life in a, in a very kind of narrative way story way it yeah but it seems like it's still in this high level idea world and Mm -hmm. haven't really it hasn't really come down to to earth it's a little bit like i don't know whether you've ever seen there's a series called the prisoner with uh patrick mcgoon Mm -hmm. and he plays a guy who is trapped in a place and has to try and escape from it and as each episode goes on the tension builds up and the tension builds up and the tension builds up and they were writing these episodes as they went along, and I think that this is the similar problem that the lamb suffers from. It got to the end, and they had absolutely no idea how best to end. And modern version is probably lost. I was just <laughs> going to say that, although I do love the ending of I that do show. Also. High five. High five. Uh, Tear. But with regards to this song, there was a lot of pressure, as you say, from record companies to finish this. I think that it's a a partially painted house. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think any one of any band member and I think you could say that probably for anything they've ever done, they would love to go back and yeah. you know, there might be things they would do differently or, you know, clarify or mm-hmm. expand upon or what have you. But we'll never know. So this is what we have and yeah. it's still pretty awesome. <laughs> well let's um I think to really end this we'll have to end in the rapids. down the water John is drifting out of sight
it's only at the turning point that you find out how you fight in the cold feel the cold all around and the rush of crashing water surrounds me with its sound striking out other side when you're racing in the rapids there's only one way that's to ride taken down taken down by the undertow Rapids uh, epilogue. Ooh, no, 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 not an epilogue. Ooh. This is the this is the end oh. of the album. No, this is the the. Uh, I talked about the two emotional kind of endpoints of this. The Hey John in Lamp Light in Light Dies Down on Broadway was number one. This is number two. Hang on, John, we're out of this at last. But something's changed. That's not your face. It's mine. It's mine. Oh, that's that emotional it's, it's like seeing Peter Gabriel that's, that's what I do here I do my one man show and but that's the emotional ending of this story it's that John uh, Rail finally gets to John saves him turns him around and sees that it's himself he saved himself now is that a great ending, eh, whatever. But it's, but it's, <laughs> but I'm see that's me saying I'm not going to argue that point or whatever. It is an ending. Yeah. It is him realizing that what I've been chasing all this time, what I've been finding all this time, is myself. It's very mid seventies, very kind of. It's so young, man. Yeah, right. it's like I can find myself, and so that. But that is the emotional ending yeah. of it. It afterwards is the you know. Kind of, you know, it's almost like the end of Shakespearean plays. We always end with a musical number. That's yeah. this. So, yeah. but that's I, I, I love in the rapids for that because it gives me that ending. I think maybe if I were listening to this in '74 and he said, "Oh, it was me all along," I'd be like, "Hey, man, that's deep." <laughs> but <Yeah. laughs> I know from from yeah. 45 years later, it just seems like it's been so overplayed. Oh, the enemy, I was. Fighting against this whole time was myself. Like yeah. it just seems overplayed. But you say it seems a bit off, off, off Broadway. Yeah, it's it's, it's like, like the, a one man show. Movie. It's like the whole movie was somebody's dream. Like yeah, yeah, exactly. So the real lesson out of the friends we made along the way. Yeah. So I mean, it's got a little yeah. bit of a country feel to it, almost like some of the verses mm-hmm. in Chamber Thirty Two Doors. Yeah. And at the end, I, I see how it could be like that's the climax of it. But for me, everything after. Light dies down, and riding the scree is just filler and fluff. 
It's, it does. I'll disagree about that. I think that that this ending is all kind of a whole for me. Yeah. And this light dies down is kind of part one of that ending, him making that choice, which you can argue is the real emotional piece. This is the conclusion of saying, okay, yes. this is what he's found. Because of the choice he made. Yes, this he is was, what he's learned. He was, he, you know, he's what he learned. This is the realization. And yeah. to me, I agree with you, Mike, this is the end of the, of the concept. Yeah. And much like Merlion's Brave, you know, that ended, or maybe even Tiny Fishes, Big Red Spark. There's a song at the end mm -hmm. that's just like, well, we have this song. Always look on the Pretty much. I mentioned, and we're jumping a little into it here, but, you know, Shakespearean plays would end, and, you know, you know, end of Hamlet, everybody's dead, or except yeah. for a couple people. And it's like, but it would always end with a musical number. Mm -hmm. And not and just a song, maybe not relating to anything with what's gone on, but there would be a song at the end. I think Bollywood movies do that a lot during the credits too. It's like there's always a musical number, and that's I had this kind of thing a couple of years back where I was like, that's what it is. It is the kind of credits music. I find myself really struggling to find focus at this point in the album, <laughs> and it's not because I don't think the songs are good. I just think I've just heard so much of this album it's at this a point. dense album so yeah. um, and it's not as I said it, it's it, it's an adventure that I, I feel that I have to always start with the first track and hear all the way through yeah. and yet I find myself fatigued by this point mm -hmm. where I really am losing a little bit of focus uh, on the story mm -hmm. and I'm starting to think about if I was in the movie theatre where I parked my car <laughs> and you know all that kind of sort of stuff and and I, that's, I think maybe that's a failing on my part rather than the, the music's part. I'm just saying that this is that was my reaction yeah. to it at this point in the uh, in the proceedings. Well, I, in in you know when I first got this album, I didn't feel. I feel like it went too fast. I was excited by mm -hmm. it. You know, I've been listening to this for a very long time. So now I'm kind of trending more towards the. All right, let's wrap this up, boys. Um, feeling, but I do remember my first early listenings. I was like, "Ooh, it's 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 really real," and you know, it felt you know it felt very yeah. dramatic, and you know, you were still kind of wrapped up in the mystery of the story. How old were they at this point? Uh, twenty-five. Yeah. Twenty-four, twenty-five. Okay. Yeah, and then so to in that yeah. when when you're when you're that age. So this is so profound. Yeah. This, oh, this yeah. type yes. of narrative. Yeah. And so I get it. And when I was listening, I was what, nine, maybe 19 when I first heard this. Yeah. And so, yeah, it, it made sense, but, yeah. um, you know, kind of taking an objective look, like I think we all do for yeah. the show. And, you know, we listen, you know, as the years goes on, what we listen to just accumulates and accumulates. Yeah. And, um, you know, there's, yeah, listening to a double album in one sitting is not yeah, really well, something well, we can do. <laughs> I ain't got no time for that now. And I get what what Tom and Tom, Tom and Simon are saying about kind of this. You're, by the time you get to this point, you're like, all right, we already had the emotional climax, but it's still kind of like it still works for me. Like maybe that's because partially I can kind of see what they were going for. Yeah. And, and know that, yeah, it's written by a bunch of 25-year-olds. And, you know, it, it's a different, not to minimize it because of that, but to just understand that context mm -hmm. and say, okay, I get something different out of it now because I liked that idea of finding yourself. Because mm -hmm. I do think that that's something you're doing your entire life 
it's just you're finding different versions of yourself as you move forward. And I love that Genesis, uh, we'll just say Gabriel, dressed that head on because you think about all the lyrics from the previous albums. They were mm. talking about things in literature and, you know, other stories and yeah. other ex- people's experiences or these characters they invented. Mm-hmm. This is like very personal. This is the first time Genesis is really bringing you into a, you know, one on one kind of feel. It does. It does have uh, musically one of the the things which I really enjoy about this album is uh, has been the transitions between some of the songs, yeah. and the it does have an amazing gear change at the end as it as it yeah. gradually goes into yes, it. It's another build. Yeah, that's that is good. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm not saying that there's there's you know. This album has some low points, and, mm-hmm. and I'll be honest with you, this track is is probably one of, of the moments for me, which I think is quite low. But that doesn't mean, you know, we're talking, as you say, in context of Genesis, and they're a darn sight better than the vast majority of the bands that were trying to attempt this kind of sort of stuff. I love the opening four chords of this. That blah, 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 yeah, that is lovely, yeah. yes. Blah. It's another great intro that I'm just like, oh, yeah. That's like it, it does feel like maybe it could have been part of something bigger than this, but the way that this builds, I, I've grown to like this more over time, mm-hmm. this piece of music, because it is so minimalistic compared to some of the other pieces, but it has this build that ends with, it's mine! So we're now going to enter not the evil clown it, but Genesis's it. <laughs> Thanks for One thing I will say about it is that it's definitely a companion piece to the previous song. Okay. You do get the sense that one is is the counterweight to the other. I have no idea what this song's about. <laughs> no, it's it's very much it is the catch-all. It's the, I said it before, it's the credits music. It's it's as up as you're going to get on this album. It's again, it's a happy song. I I love the music. I wouldn't go that far. Well, I think the music is very, you know, it's it's almost 
I don't know if triumphant is the right word with that kind of guitar keyboard line that intros it, but it does give me a, a feeling of, all right, we're going somewhere. We, we got somewhere. To me, it's like um, kind of like a, a summary of the album. Like yeah. you, you have, you know, it's leaving your cocoon. Yeah. It is in between the cages. It is always in a space. So there's some, you know, ref- chicken. There's been a lot of work. Yeah, a lot of chickens. Years, so. That's just yeah. from you, Mike. Just yeah. from you. <laughs> um, you know, look across the mirror before you choose the Sunny. side. So, you know, that whole revelation that this John is real. Yeah. So I feel like, you know, that there. To me, that's why I, f- I feel like it's not part of the concept. It's a comment of yes. the concept. Yeah. It is, you know... That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. that's the way it's I've always epilogue. seen this. Yeah, yeah it's this an epilogue. epilogue. Yeah. This is how I've always seen the song. Um, and again, it reverts back to its, you know, the referencing of rock and roll yeah. tropes like Purple Haze yep. and mm-hmm. Knock and Knoll, But I Like yep. It. You know, mm-hmm. the uh, that's a very interesting thing because that's a leitmotif that is thrown or strewn all throughout the lyrical... Mm-hmm content on this album the uh, the rock and roll references and the pop culture references yeah. shaken not stirred yeah you know it's yeah i i i do really like this song it's it's something that i think for a while i was of of the mind that i was like ah, it's 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 just tacked on at the end and then i i started viewing that as a feature not a bug that it was like it is supposed to be tacked on at the end it's not it's not out of place because of that. It is it is where it should be because of that. Yeah, and I, I always wonder, did it, is it because the the band or Gabriel thought that whole something's changed, not your face, it's mine, wasn't enough yeah, to it, end on? It, it would be weird if that was how it ended. <laughs> yeah. And then it's the like, song okay, go <laughs> goes, goes to the end. And I was what like, if, what if you just had that part and went into it, but as a minute of instrumental? Mm. Would that be without all these... Silly, it can be this, it can you be that. You hate this song, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> I've got to wait for me, for me, I'm, I'm, <laughs> well, no, I love that he does. Almost, I'm, I'm, I'll, yeah. I'll call IT from because for me, it's still a bug, it's not oh, a feature. So, oh, there you go. That's good. Call I just, right and, and I don't even, as we were talking about earlier, and how they revisited this track later on yeah. live, it just seems like out of all the great content you could pick from the lamb to bring live, yeah. it seems like way down the list of stuff yeah, that you would bring I, back. But it's a good live song. It's, uh, you know, it's up. Yeah. It, it gets people standing up. Yeah, it's snapping their fingers like you do at a rock show. Hey, baby. It's, they can do a very loungy version of this. It is chicken. It is eggs. It is hay in between your legs. Please don't Larry, ever we, do that again. See, I would prefer that version to end it. Hey, the version you did. It's walking on the moon and leaving. <laughs> So, but I, 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 I have turned from an ambivalent person about this song to a defender of this song. I really, and I know that it kind of does need defense. I, I know that there's issues with it. It. Huh. If but, I, uh, if I'm being really honest with you, the one thing I associate with this track is the live version that happens at the end of Three Sides Live, the British yep. one, and Phil's voice breaking oh, as, yeah. as as he sings, and in some ways. And of course, then it segues into the end of this song, segues live into the instrumental outro of Water of the Skies. And I like that. Yes. That version I like. Mm -hmm. There's uh, Bill Bruford's playing drums on it. Yep. And uh, again, you can hear this very, very strange roar of one guy in the audience. (laughs) (gasps) 
on that like, version, which that that again I find endearing. Uh, and I I guess that there must be a good song under there because of that. But I, I this is damning with frame praise. Yeah, right now, I'll so. be I'll be really honest with you. It's it's just one of those things where. Uh, I I agree with Tom. It just it seems like a bridge too far for mm-hmm. me. It, it's Fair um, it's and and Stacey's right. There's a fabulous top line that mm-hmm. da, 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 that yeah. is a it's, brilliant yeah. top line. <laughs> and and I really like the the but version that's sound... on the archive box where they remixed it and Gabriel recorded like new vocals back in the mid nineties for this. Like I really liked that. The big so, yeah. problem about the, the top line on this is it sounds like game show music. It does. It is a bit you're the next contestant. <laughs> <laughs> but he kinda was. He was yeah. Alright, we're getting we're getting a little yeah. meta here. But um, <laughs> I think I think really how on earth could you end this album? Right. It's, right. It's, yeah. They ba- they painted themselves into a corner. corner. And, mm-hmm. And I and I think they acquitted themselves well. I know that I feel like Stacy and I are are the one dynamic here, and Tom and Simon are the the other at this point. The wrong but, dynamic. Yeah, we'll leave it at that. So. <laughs> but but I think this is why this album gets discussed and argued about so much because yeah. because there is even with saying how much I do enjoy this, and I've over the course of these two episodes. It might be my top Genesis album again now, after we've talked cool. about this. So it may have moved a little bit. It's um, always been right up there for me. Oh, yeah. Yeah, same here. And it's it's at least for the rest of the day. It may still be up there. And it may be different tomorrow. But, but I think this is why this album gets talked about so much. Because even as much as I enjoy this, I know it's a little bit of, of, of missed potential. Mm. Because it could have been something like a dark side that people don't really quibble about but it is what it is so again and one of my big things for the past couple years has been enjoy it for what it is not for not dislike it for what it isn't yeah Yeah. and and i enjoy this for what it is but it but you can't not compare it to other similar albums Mm -hmm. well i would suggest that in that case as we're talking about favorites and not favorites maybe we should talk about our favorite tracks on the album and and then I'm so, so looking forward to seeing your big poll. After, 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 after It's been getting ready for you. I've been keeping it in a yellow plastic shooby-doo. Shoo-doo. <laughs> but I'm going to take it out. Well, who wants to go first? I'll, I'll definitely go, go first. I had originally thought that, um, that I was going to say Back in New York City. Because it is a fabulous song. But I, if I'm being really honest with you, it's Chamber of 32 Doors. Okay. Very good. I will say that I voted... And I still think that I would say today, back in New York City. For my favorite, I picked Fly on a Windshield. Just because I love the intro. You know, as soon as Lamb lies down on Broadway, that's ended. Standard pop song ending. Now you get these weird chords and this, as they said, you know, the pharaohs down the Nile. And then the band coming in all at once. It's just musical heaven and then the jamming steve's guitar everything mm-hmm. after that is it just really does it for me. i love that you just called lamb lies down on broadway a standard pop song well it's i, I, I know i know it's, it's, it's just maybe compared to what comes compared after to everything else yeah. but i just love that that's our where we've shifted our narrative to with that so Good that's comparison. great exactly now stacy can you go around again? <laughs> <laughs> I could. I could. It, it's still um, back in New York City. It hasn't changed right. in two minutes. So, uh, so you can only I choose one song. I know. I know because I am very adamant that's mm. one vote only. Um, 
so like I kind of go through every time I hear this album, it's like riding the scree, fly on a windshield, mm. um, and carpet crawlers are like my my mm. always my top three. But I think today after talking um, about the album, right now it's carpet crawlers. Um, again, the, the yeah. solid vocal, the vocal line, and Peter just you know especially it to me it's even more poignant. Because it's his last album with the band, mm-hmm. and he just delivers, I think, the perfect vocal. And, you know, I'm glad that the, the band gave the world this song. Yeah. This is the first time we've all had different choices? Yeah, I think so. Maybe. First time in a while, at least, yeah. I feel like that we haven't, there hasn't been at least one double up with that. So that's very good. Well, now that we know what we think, Tom, how about revealing your poll to the world? What's that yellow piece? Tom shows you his poll. Well, this, this, I have to say, was probably the biggest poll I've had in a while. I think <laughs> it was a length that well, was, was up for a while. That was yeah. up. My, the poll was up for a long time. And I finally had to, you know, after four hours, had to call a doctor. And, and, but it was very, I, there were a lot of tracks on this album, so I think we're just going to go over the top ten, which yeah. made the top yeah. ten. And it was interesting. I, I almost want to do everything. No, shut up. All right. <laughs> all right, all right. That'll be after the. Show. That's right. Maybe we can post it online. That was probably yeah, let's. We'll, we'll, we'll do that. We'll post, we'll post all of it yes, on the yes. website. Yeah. All right. Well, there were a couple ties, so I'll start with the two that were. Did any tracks get zero votes? Yes, one got zero, and that was the waiting room. Really? Which is surprising because I don't think it's. I think there are tracks which aren't as fun or interesting to listen to as the waiting room. Right. That means somebody voted for Ravine somebody as their favorite Ravine. track. Thank you for listening, whoever you might be. That was Ken Burns, remember? Ken <laughs> Burns. <laughs> Thank you, Ken. All right, well, we got about 360 votes. Very nice. Thank right, you guys thank you. for voting. Yes. Uh, tied for 10th place with nine votes each. Hairless Heart and Riding the Scree, two instrumentals. Well, okay. Riding the Scree, mostly instrumental. Number nine. Number nine. To, uh, coincidentally... Number nine was oh, uh, brother John was number nine. So he was. Uh, it was mentioned in Grand Parade. It was Grand Parade of Lifeless Packaging. Yeah. All right, number eight was another tie. Broadway Melody of 1974 and Anyway. Okay. I think Anyway scored higher than I thought it would, but yeah. All right, number seven is The Lamb Lies Down on Broadway. Okay, I thought would have thought that would have been a little higher. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, me too. But height, you know. Yeah. Six, The Colony of Slippermen. Beat Lamelight Sound on Broadway. Yeah. Interesting. All right, the top five, number five with 27 votes is Back in New York City. Mm-hmm. Okay, all right. Okay, not surprising. Good placement. Number four, Chamber of 32 Doors. Mm-hmm. I love that that beat Back in New York City. That's awesome. And That's the great. Lamb and... Yeah. yeah. Well, I can see that the um, Slipper Men is a little higher because it's used a lot in the live shows. Yeah. Um, I think Chamber of 32, to- 32 Doors has kind of that... Blood on the Rooftops, yeah. where it's that sleeper, which just builds yep. in reputation over yeah. time. So maybe that's why. All right, the top three. Number three was Fly on a Windshield. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right, there was a tie for two, In the Cage, and the Lamia. Oh, cool. Really? Lamia. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say that. Cool. That's the top three. Okay. So yeah, so fans I think, like I that. I think we now know what number one's going to be. 
Number one is Carpet Crawlers. Oh, Stacey's chose number one, yeah. I think that's a very wise choice. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't disagree with any no, of that ranking no, there. No, I don't no, think I'm, that's... That's great. Except for Ravine getting a vote. Well, yeah. I, <laughs> well, no, as I said, each each to their own, to be honest yeah. with well, you. Well, the Ravine... It, it, it's I? not that I disagree with Ravine getting a vote. It's that I'm surprised that the waiting room got no votes. I don't know. The Ravine gives, still gives me chills to this day. There's just something about it, and I would pick that over waiting room if we were down yeah. to the two. So, okay. thanks again, Kemper. <laughs> <laughs> thanks to everybody for voting. Yes, yes that's fantastic. So, any final thoughts on this album as we wrap up our afternoon of recording here? Uh, one, I will say that one of the things we haven't spoken about is the artwork. Mm. Um, and my personal feeling is that Certainly out of all of the Hypnosis albums, the album, you know, the design company, I think this was their best stab at an album cover for Genesis. I think uh, it, it does edge out for me, Trick, with regards to design. It absolutely encapsulates, for me, what the album sounds like inside. It's very, it does fit the album the best. I, it's not my favourite artwork, but it does... Well, unless I go back and listen to that episode and hear if I said that or not. Um... <laughs> But I, it, it definitely fits the music. This, this is a good total package here. Yeah, I think I, I don't often, when I listen to music, look at liner notes with it or album artwork or kind of do that tandem. But for this album, I remember distinctly doing that. Maybe because I was so confused by mm. all the references. And, you know, they, they did place a lot of emphasis on the visuals um, in this album. And... I'm sorry, I've never, I think maybe once I read what was inside, like that story. <laughs> Is that Gabriel wrote? Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Uh, but I, I liked looking at it. I just won't read it. I mean, there's nothing lifeless about that packaging at all. Yeah. <laughs> oh. And this was the uh, first album to feature the Genesis logo that got reprised yes. On a couple of occasions, didn't it? The, I always thought of it as kind of Egyptian looking, although mm. it may not. Yes, I always call it. The, I always call it the Dalek script. It's like an Art Deco, a little bit. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Which is very New York. Yeah. <laughs> I just I, for, for me, my favorite part of the entire album is the two rails holding hands, the yes. John and yeah. and rail on the front cover. Oh, see, I never thought about it that way. So but another leather sense. jacket moment for you, my friend. <laughs> yeah. There's three rails. All right, yeah. by the by the waterfall there, maybe the waiting room. Yeah. The one kind of watching both of them Open happening. Corridor. Yeah, it's it's a fascinating um, visual interpretation. And again, I know that that Genesis tend to sort of like say, "Go away and do nice stuff," and we'll say yes or no. <laughs> it's yeah. not like, but I, I sometimes wonder whether or not um, Peter Gabriel actually did have a hand in that, or at least wanted to sort of like yeah. get what direction he gave. Yeah, exactly. That. I love it as an album cover. It, it's it's up there amongst my favorite. I think. Yeah. Duke nearly always beats it out for the simplicity and the impact, but I think the Lamb is as a cover is not far behind in my in my estimation. Yeah, I mean the cover is as visceral as the the concept itself and, and the stories in it. So, yeah, well done, Hypnosis. Yeah, and the very the thing that always gets me is the inserts look very much like the Wish You Were Here Floyd mm. stuff. Right. And, and since they did that too, it might have been, you know, part of a piece. Yeah, yeah. it's a, it's a, it, as I said, the album cover is, for me, an incredibly important part of any album packaging. Yeah. And when an album 
cover draws me in I know that that it's in in some ways almost won me over for the music for me to sum up the lamb I think it's a fantastic body of work I love taking the time to sit down and explore it going on this journey um and I think I started enjoying that journey a lot more when I took the pressure off myself to understand what was going on mm-hmm. in the story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think when I first started getting into it, I'm like reading the story and I'm like, I got to figure out what's happening. And, mm-hmm. and I don't understand it from going this place to this place. Finally, I'm like, let go, enjoy mm-hmm. it. It's mm-hmm. not meant to be understood 100%. Peter had his own reasoning for doing things. Just enjoyed it as, as it is. And, and just seeing it live done by the musical box is just... It, it was. I think it was really landmark moment for the band. Yeah, like I, I get when people say like that this show was amazing. You know, I, I get it. Although I love Phil's comment that he's like, for everybody who tells me that they were at these shows, I didn't see him in the audience. <laughs> you know, it's <laughs> like there were I guess sparsely attended nights on those yes. on that tour. That it is what it is with that. But I, I really enjoy this. It's, it's an album that, like I said, it does keep on giving me something different the more I listen to it, which, good or bad, I think that's a sign of of an album that has something that's worthwhile to chase yes. and worthwhile to try to find. And a lot of Genesis albums are like that, and a lot of great books are like that for me, that you listen or read at different times, and it gives you something different. And that's what I really enjoy about this album. Um, yeah, so I... I really don't know. I don't really have much else to say. Um, you know, it's uh, it is quite a thing. Um, it's interesting. I was like Tom too, where I felt like I had to really understand all what was going on. And um, now I just, you know, I this is one of the albums I have to be in a very specific mood <laughs> to listen to it because mm-hmm. like I think Simon mentioned earlier, you know, it's not background music. Mm-hmm. Um, I tend to have this downloaded on my iPhone. I do a lot of travel for work and it's a great airplane album. Mm-hmm. Highly, you know, um, I like concept albums for trips cause you know, you're, it's like a, it's like a book on tape <laughs> kind of thing. Um, and so, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's kind of good to sit down and listen uh, experience. Well, you've given us a lot of your time listening to this album with us, and let us know what you think of the uh, of our interpretation of things. Again, we are one hundred percent right at all times, so you have to kind of make sure that we do this. So uh, we want to hear where we're obviously wrong, but we won't agree. But that's fine. The um, it's it's been a great voyage with you going through this album. We hope you've enjoyed it, and we look forward to hearing from you in the future about this. So this is Mike signing off. This is Tom. This is Stacy. And this is Simon. And we'll see you next time on Tabletop Genesis. for listening to this episode of Tabletop Genesis. Archived episodes can be found at tabletopgenesis.com along with updates, polls, and various other podcast-related news. You can also subscribe to the podcast on iTunes to have the shows automatically and magically downloaded to your computer when we post new episodes. To keep up with all the Tabletop Genesis activity, 
Follow us on Twitter at Genesis Tabletop. You can like us on Facebook by searching for Tabletop Genesis. And you can also email us directly at genesistabletop at gmail.com. Let us know what you think of the podcast or send us questions we can address on future episodes. 